0: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender, Ed, Blender HD. if you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, Monday, April 18th. I think your taxes are due today. Go pay your taxes today. It's tax day, I believe. I think it's only 18th. I don't know. i done it. I did it already. Uh, but uh, but we know what we do on Mondays. We bring in James McCool. James McCool, Mondays with McCool, co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour DFS Audio Masterclass, you can find at theoryofdfs.com. Get your thummy thumbs in before we, we who knows what we'll talk about today. Remember, Mondays are about whatever happens, happens. Who knows what we'll talk about. DFS Strategy, get your questions in uh, the YouTube chat. We got we got the baseball slate tonight. I think there's going to be like three games postponed. So, uh, so who knows what happens tonight in baseball. Uh, we got the real-life pitcher in here, Doug Montgomery, Brian Tedeschi, uh, did, he says he finished ninth in the mini match. Congratulations, Jim Steele, Trey, Brian C, Okadoke, James. Did you play? Did you play USFL over the weekend?
1: Absolutely not. I don't want to play NFL in Mar- in April, dude. Like I, I don't want to do almost anything in terms of. Uh having to do extra research or like set up extra baseline or anything like that. I don't want to do that. Like bas- basketball is still going. I haven't even had a break from basketball yet. Why would I want to take on another news heavy sport?
0: Well, you saw what was going on with, uh, with USFL. Apparently, uh, yeah. the, if you if you played USFL contests over this past, past weekend, I mean, you're playing for nothing. I mean, it's essentially uh you, you can't lose. You can only win. You can't lose because, they they locked the contest early or something, and then the ownership showed, and then then a game was postponed, and then then they the, the couldn't light, late swap at four for a five p.m. I all I saw on Twitter was that, and then you also had like uh, like no one know who no one knew who was playing, like all all, all I saw was like oh oh this thirty four percent owned guy is like on the practice squad, like he's not even like in the game. Uh, I, I assume that if you used our roto grinder stuff, you would have known that. I, I assume, I'm just saying. I, so I, I'm not playing USFL, but uh, apparently there's a big edge, but to find that edge, good luck to that. Good, good, good luck. Apparently even, even even the good players were like, well, well, this guy is not even, this guy was supposed to be the number one wide receiver and he's not even on the field, right? And this guy was supposed to be the starting running back and he, he ain't there. And from what I could tell on my timeline, the games are awful. The games are absolute false start and penalties guys, like, and you can't kick field goals and
1: there were other no one going for it on fourth down. Not no, there were guys who were not supposed to be with the team who ended up starting. And like, was I that was that in the
0: new? Was that like was it the type of thing where where like it was reported one way and then. Like it wasn't that way. Like, like what? What? Like, oh, these players are active for the game, and well, it's like no, the day of. Like, no, they're not.
1: Active. Right? Yeah. There's the, well, there's no actual like. There's no re- reliable reporting going on. I guess. It's
0: all in one place. How do you not like, realize like, they're like, playing so all the games in Birmingham?
1: I, dude, I don't know. It's the, this. This is the. The problem with these summer leagues is like it's the same cycle that happens every single time we've seen it multiple times now for months somebody uh, like it starts off with some like rich person saying oh yeah i'm gonna do this and then they buy the rights to it and then it gets trademarked and then it starts entering our bubble right and then people are like frothing at the mouth and then it starts getting pushed a little bit more like there's marketing there's ad campaigns there's like twitter feeds and but like social media teams are built up and like oh all this hype all this hype And there's just money pumped into the hype. There's money pumped into the advertising, right? And then it gets into the actual season. And this is what happens. The games are god-awful. Just terrible, terrible, terrible quality games the media coverage is terrible. Like you can't find it to watch it almost anywhere. There's no more social media presence. They've basically fired all social media teams. There's no more marketing. There's no more advertising and there's no reliable reporting. And they just drop it off the face of the earth. And they're like, well, let's just let it run and see how it does. It's like, nobody actually wants to dedicate to this thing. And I I said it before, it's like, This I there's now been multiple instances where it's like, why would this league be the thing that would catch on and be exciting for Americans when frankly the NFL, the pinnacle, the premier version of football in America is not even that great of a product, like 90% of the time. So if the good, if the good games in the USFL are like bad NFL games, it's why what are we doing? Like, why are we even doing this? Why do people keep trying this?
0: Well, I mean for us, it's more about who cares about the sport. It's more about it's more about winning at the daily fantasy version.
1: There's no new. But isn't that a, isn't that a good thing?
0: Isn't that a good Whoa. thing? You embrace embrace no, no, the no, no, variance. No, no, randomly no, no, no. pick people then.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. If you want to do if you want to throw together all the permutations of lineups or whatever and just randomly pick 150 of them and just go for it, do whatever you want to do but I don't think that that creates edge. I just think that that means that everybody is guessing at the same level of everybody else. And if you can develop good ownership projections, maybe you can leverage that. But at the same time, like you don't know if 34% owned on a wide receiver is good or bad because you don't even know if they're going to play. So
0: So just fade all those (laughs) That's not an edge. Just just play play all the 5%, play the 1%. It just seemed like I'm, I'm looking at my Twitter feed. I didn't play. Obviously, I'm looking, and people are like, "Oh, 45 percent on running back in showdown is a zero because he's not on the field." And I'm like, "Like, so all I have to do is like, what? It's it's my it's the general concept that I apply in DFS to the to the extreme, right? Of people think they know. Like I, the main reason I make money in DFS and GPPs is people are too confident in what they know. I'm not I'm not saying that. uh I'm not saying that, that you should know better. Just all you're doing is taking advantage of overconfidence. So people are like, well, I'm going to play X, Y, and Z. This is the best team, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Here's the best stack and you know, best projected stack in MLB. And, oh, this guy's going to pitch at least 100 pitches. And they, like, you don't know. like there's, there's a probability that that doesn't happen, right? And people are too sure. They think 100% or 0%. Now in USFL, it's a difference of like, well, everyone thinks this, I'm going to think that. And you don't even know what the other thing to think is because you're, you're, you've you've you almost no information whatsoever. But I, I would think in the showdown contest, especially that you go in and when it's like, oh yeah, we, it's the, this is before the first game of the season. Right. So like, you don't even have any sample size whatsoever. And you're just, just guessing on the depth chart, I guess. Like, why not just go in and just say, like even if you do it by ownership sum, and go, I'm just going to play really lower, much lower ownership sum lineups to get chalky lineups out of my lineup because who, what does anyone know? I mean, we 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 see this in every. You see this in every. Uh, we could we could we could see this in every sport. I mean, like like in MMA over the weekend, we had this the this fight a closer, uh, right? Jakar Close was the biggest favorite on the slate. He's fighting, facing Brandon Jenkins, who's not even a UFC level fighter. And people, the whole week, people are talking about his neck. Apparently from the Jeffrey Stevens fight, he got shoved on the podium during their press conference and it screwed up his neck. And he's been talking about it that, that the, the UFC won't say anything about it, but his neck is completely screwed up and he needs surgery on it. But in the UFC, they don't pay the fighters well enough. So, like he's going to fight anyway because he needs the money. So you know what that did? That that, that decreased the ownership on this guy because it's like, "Oh, this this guy screwed up." Right? But the betting line didn't even change. Like the betting line was still a -525 favorite. He's 50% chance to win inside the distance and inside inside the the MMA DFS bubble. It's like, I don't know, can he pay the most expensive price for a guy that maybe his neck is totally screwed up. Like, yeah, but he's also He's also like 17 levels above the guy that he's fighting like quality wise. So I'm just sitting there going, I'm just going to jam. him, Right. I played, I played way over the field, played him in a ton of lineups and he put up the, the highest score on the entire slate because why the other guy is awful. And he just took, he pummeled him, Right. What, what much did he, he, he wouldn't be allowed by the athletic commission in Nevada to compete if he was that injured Mm-hmm. Right, so people are creating these things that have been. Well, it may be true, his may his next could have been screwed up, but what do you know? You don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. So, so all I hear is that, and then I know that the ownership is going to go down. Then on the other hot side, you may hear, "Oh, there's no chance that this guy," and then next thing you know, that guy wins. Right, like there's no chance that guy wins, even though he has like a twelve percent chance on the money line. It's like, oh well, what? If no one's going to have him. I'll have him. So, like for USFL, to me, that's like the extreme version of that. Like it's the first game of the season, no one knows anything, so why don't you just you do the thing that people joke about online, James? The thing that that I thought maybe for the first week of USL you could do. This is kind of antithetical. We do have USFL content to just uh, look at what everyone's saying. Right? Go 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 to what any content about the league DFS wise, and just do the complete opposite. Right. Just like, just, I know that's the joke. You can't do that normally. Right. Normally you're going to get screwed doing that. But i am saying, it's the first week of the season. What does anyone know? We're, just, we're all looking at the same bare basic information that doesn't really that. Oh, the depth chart on the website. Come on. We, we've gone to depth charts on NFL websites and they're
1: completely
0: wrong. We have social media teams tweeting out the wrong players. Right. It's like, oh, this guy. It's like, no, that's not that guy. That's the other on your own website. Number eight is this other guy, not this guy. He's, he's not even on the field. So like, if that's where you're getting the information from, like just set the ownership sum of my line and look at projected ownership, right? Which is hard to project on the first week of the season. And then you just set it down. It's like, oh, well, what's, what's, the, what's the optimal uh, ownership sum, right? Oh, 162. It's like, oh, I'll set it to 80, right? Just go, just cab that and just build lineups. Right, and there's whatever it is, that, and maybe maybe your three percent not guy actually ends up being the wide receiver one, right? But it's to me, it's unlikely that like uh, everything that everyone knows, that's what's going to be correct for the first week of the season, and then the second week of the season, James. You know, that's my favorite week because that's everyone overreacting to a one-game sample size, and then you start doing the opposite direction. the The, the problem with the USFL though is that you could do this like you know week one. No one knows anything, contrarian. Week two, you do the opposite of what everyone thinks based on one week sample size. And week three, you don't have any contests because the league folds. So, like, <laughs> you're like how how much of your edge? Right? You, you don't, you don't you're right. How, how much are you gonna devote into 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 the whole season when you're not even like my my, my question is, like which comes first? The league folding or DraftKings only having five thousand dollar prize pool contests for that? Like it's gonna be one, it's gonna be at some point where we get to week seven and it's like, ah, uh, it's not even worth even entering the DFS contests uh, or week seven just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. The, the, we, the price pools are absolutely going to be tragically bad by week four. They're going to be so bad if it makes it to week four, obviously like all of the problems that they had in terms of the, uh, they, I, I don't understand how they messed so many things up though. Isn't well draft DraftKings, I mean they, they messed up the I wouldn't be
0: shocked if DraftKings doesn't even offer contests for it anymore.
1: I no, I wouldn't either. Other and, other I, than
0: showdowns, I think I think I could I could see DraftKings doing all showdowns only, but because yeah. they messed up the, the classic slate, like just in like the like you've been doing DFS for 10 years or something.
1: And like, how did they I don't understand how they messed up the specific things that they did, right? Like we haven't had ownership before contests in what five years? Four years, five years? For a non-late swap. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't see how they could lock because what they did is they, they locked at it, at locked, it showed the ownership of everyone, even though you could still edit your lines. Yeah. So like, I, how I, does that how does that what 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 uh, what contest does that ever exist? Like it never exists. Like so what no, kind of functionality? No, no. Could we had it
1: like that was a that was a function a while ago remember like you were able to see ownership of players before the slates locked. i specifically remember being able to see the ownership of players i don't remember what sport it was but it, what it was a feature as, as,
0: a, as a glitch
1: not as a feat now no what it was a feature for a little while or am i just like super high right now but you're, like, you're super high
0: that's never that's never happened
1: what site was it that that would happen
0: I, no, anyway. and, you know, I, I can tell you that's not, you wouldn't, you would see the ownership of the players that did lock already, but not the ones that didn't. The only time that you wouldn't see the ownership that you could possibly is in, is NBA when there was no late swap.
1: Oh, so even though the players
0: games time? did not start, you would still see. The 10 o'clock players ownership because no one can swap any. Okay,
1: that's what I'm thinking of. Okay.
0: Like, okay, that that I can, I mean I, I barely well, remember that, but th- that at least makes sense. But I've never seen where you where you, the, the ownership showed and you could still switch out players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's
1: what I'm thinking of. But like that feature of I, I just don't understand how that glitch happens on DraftKings. After like from from a technical standpoint, from a coding standpoint, from somebody who knows how to build like applications and stuff like that, I don't understand how that makes it past and into the live USFL product, like you, you had to have been testing things, and, and this feature has not existed in contests. like you have not been able to see forward ownership since that little NBA thing where there was no late swap. So how how does that even make it in? And then on top of that, on top of that, the main contest, they sent out like 20,000 free tickets to.
0: What? No, 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 the problem, see, I don't consider that a problem. That's just a choice they made. But the fact that they sent out 20,000 free tickets more than a day before the contest locked, And it filled with those tickets. Like they, like they basically said, they pressed the fill button. Like yeah. like we're at 5,000 entries and it's a 25,000 entry contest. We're going to go, you're going to just press the fill button now.
1: But like I, we've seen them do that before. And FanDuel does it relatively frequently where they'll like send you a voucher or whatever and be like, hey, get into this contest because we have a $3 NFL contest with 500,000 people. And then we don't think they're going to fill it, but they do it later. And they do it when they're like apparently their algorithm had to have said this USFL contest is not filling fast enough, so we have to send out all these free tickets. But they didn't wait near long enough. Or they, they said out too.
0: Or they sent out too many. I to me, I don't. To me, this is just this is a business choice for them. This I, is operationally, if tons of people like oh I couldn't get in because they gave us so many like why wouldn't you register before them? I mean if you were gonna play, right? I mean. Uh,
1: there's a lot of people that register later. I, I, mean, I guess not, so, it's but it's not like people like you and me, where as soon as like week one of NFL comes out, we're going to wreck our contest. Like right. there are plenty of people that wait. And I get that. And I understand waiting. And I understand like people being bummed that, that DraftKings sent out all these free tickets for no reason. They free. Yeah, but that, no, you I wouldn't would feel,
0: feel bummed if you're one of the 5,000 that were in there because you're getting so many more dead lineups. Yeah, of
1: course. No, no, no. Of course, people who were like fully maxed into that, like at the beginning of it, um, they they must have had great EV. But I don't even think that they won because they didn't know anything. <laughs> they didn't know anything. It was such a snafu, man. And I just but, that,
0: but the th- James, the thing that to me that was the most noticeable. I think this highlighted? Highlighted. What I've said for years upon years upon years, people don't believe me. People question when it comes to late swap. Mm-hmm. I've said less than 1% of people late swap ever, ever. People are like, that's way too low. Because they remember, like, oh, okay, I'll switch this off. That, you know, an NBA, you'll go, oh, I'll switch. You know, we're part of a very small bubble. Mm-hmm. One, less than 1%. We have U- a USFL slate that exists for two days, right? This is this classic slate that it's not like all the games lock at once, even though they they showed the ownership of all the players. You had the option of swapping as much as you want, knowing all of the ownership. And there are wide receivers, which are typically the highest variance position in in a league we know nothing about. And on depth charts, we are completely unsure of. And the highest owned, the wide receiver that was like thirty-two percent owned, that everyone saw was thirty-two percent owned. The next day, by the time they took away the ownership, right, they on display, and then that game locked, the guy was more owned, more owned. Thirty-two percent wide receiver ended up being slightly more owned, and there were other guys. Like you looked at the ownership differences. And I saw this on Twitter, and like no one changed. Like everyone saw the ownership. And no one changed.
1: You saw twenty-eight percent owned on a defense, right? Twenty-eight percent owned on a defense, and you didn't get off of that defense, right?
0: And the the ownership ended up being this about the same.
1: Yeah, it was like it was like twenty-four point three to like twenty-four point one, or maybe twenty-two percent, or something like that. But are you serious? No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, people do not, and, and we talk about this a lot in, uh, in the master class in theory DFS, where we talk about the idea that, um, a late swap as a function, if you're not utilizing it at basically every single junction that you possibly can, if you're not making an effort to increase the expected value of your lineups based on the ownerships that you see and the new known information, remember we're dealing with unknown and known information. If you get more known information and you are not actively reevaluating what you're doing, then you're not utilizing light swap to its fullest degree. And I understand like not everybody cares to use late swap to their largest degree because it takes away time, time investment, life utility, whatever. But like if you're trying to maximize your expected value and you see there's a 32% owned player in the USFL and nobody knows anything about this league and you don't instantly get off like almost all of that player to swap to somebody who directly leverages him, you don't even bother. You should, you should be looking for every way not to use late swap. You should be lobbying to have everyone take late swap off their sites because you don't want to use it.
0: Right. Well, I mean, NBA is the perfect example of that. I mean, right. The late game, someone's out. So, I mean, like that is the biggest edge because not, I mean, and, we I mean, may be preaching to the choir. We may be talking to tons of people that utilize late swap. Now, is it less advantageous in baseball? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not as much of an I'm not talking about as far as like a pitcher gets scratched, a batter get, you know, something like that. I'm just talking about like you have a lineup and you know, you're stacked in well in the in in the seven o'clock game, and you have a you have the contrarian pitcher in a late game and you switch to the chalkier pitcher. Like you could do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's say in the, in the in the in the Dodgers game today, we we're looking at tonight, for instance. And let's say you had uh, you have Kershaw and Bellinger in your lineup or something, and you're like, well, everyone's going to be playing uh, Frankie Montes or Sean Manaya, and but your, your cheaper Pittsburgh stack went off. It's like, well, I could switch my pitchers out to now Manaya plus Montes and take the the chalky one. Like you could do stuff like that. In baseball, it's not going to be the type of thing where, oh, this guy's out. You got to play the other guy. But it's more the fact of if you're way ahead, you want to block people. You want to block people. If you're way behind, you want to get on. Like, if, if for instance, if you took a pitcher using tonight's game as an tight tonight's slate as an example, even though like the first three games on the slate are more likely going to be postponed. Uh, but let's say you took Eric Lauer against the Pirates or something like that, and the Pirates just crush him. And you're sitting there with Eric Lauer with minus seven points. Like maybe, maybe your core stack, your your Philly stack that may be chalky tonight. Maybe it's time to just start removing those, that stack, right? It's like you, you're, you're, you're your seven percent on pitcher that you used got blown up. You're way behind. So playing 20% on hitters on what's going to be functionally a six-game MLB slate. Is probably not ideal. That's when you'd start to be swapping. Now, what you'd be doing is going, "Who are the chalk pitchers, right?" If it's Manaya and Montes, now it's like, "Well, with Eric Lauer's minus six, had do, I don't think I could win a GPP, but how do I how do I easiest get up to the cash line? Well, why don't I just play the batters against the two chalkiest pitchers, right? So why don't I play Cincinnati and Baltimore people in my lineups to make up the difference because you know, my I'm already way behind in the pitching slots, and you could use that vice versa. In the if you if if you have a uh, contrary, if you're playing oh, I'm playing contrary in Pittsburgh, and they put up one run and they barely have any points, and you know by like nine o'clock, like you have Manai and Montes. it's like just switch to Lodolo and Anoa, right, and switch to two pitchers that you know are going to be like sub five percent owned. Give you a better chance of mincash. Hey, you could even. Do actually fairly well with those lines especially in baseball where if yeah. you switch to that much leverage it's not a matter of taking your lineup just to the cash line but maybe you get a 4x 5x maybe come in top five percent even with that everything looks good in your lineup except for like one you know negative six pitcher slot or like a three-man zeros in your lineup it's perfectly viable not enough people do that type of stuff i mean and it's And especially if you're playing like one to five lineups, Mm -hmm. I don't see how you can't do that because it's, it's totally tenable to do 150. I can understand it's a little bit more, more complicated to start late swapping out. We've got the tool in lineup HQ to do it, but I can, I can understand that being a little bit more complicated, but one, three, five lineups. I don't see any reason why if, if or in an early game, you're like up, close the laptop. It's like, don't close the laptop, start switching out some of your, get get even lower ownership and 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 even even five percent if you could get your 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 cash rate from those dead lineups five percent of the time by the end of the year that makes up for a decent amount of money mm-hmm.
1: yeah I, I mean uh a couple of years ago i won a gpp with chris archer with like negative eight or something like that because like he started out really bad and he was i don't know maybe like 15 percent owned or something and um i was like okay well he sucked really bad so i have to get off of i think it was probably a popular yankee stack or something like that i had like archer with the yankees and i switched over to an angel stack instead the angels put up like 14 runs or something and mike trout had 40 fantasy points and brandon marsh or or who i don't know their leadoff guy the angels whatever bad pit person is leading off the angels um I ended up doing, doing really, really well, but it was because I switched off that Yankee stack onto like a 5% own Angel stack all the way across the board. And that let me like skyrocket up the leaderboards. Um, the other thing that you can do is also not just looking at it and saying, okay, well, Eric Lauer gave me negative six. So now I need to figure out how to like give myself more volatility to pass people to try to cash. But if you're already cashing and you see, you know, you get to the point where there's only like maybe two games left, and you look ahead of you. Maybe you're in, uh, maybe you're in like fifteenth or something like that of a GPP. And uh, you look ahead of you, and you're you've got the same positions that are not locked as like four of the people in front of you. Like you don't want to get blocked, so you want to make sure that you can kind of add up a little bit of math. And it's a little bit more complicated when you get up there, but. Um, out of math see what players you think are most likely to be on the rosters ahead of you and make sure that you're not duped like you still need to be doing things like that and try to maximize your EV. because if you split five ways with with other people you know when you could be aiming for first or if you split like 10 ways if it's like a two-game slate like 15 people ahead of you you're in 20th and 15 people ahead of you still have an outfield slot left and you have an outfield slot left, and it's like very, very obviously going to be Giancarlo Stanton for a lot of them, like you all have the same salary left, you all basically have the same lineup, and it's probably Giancarlo Stanton for that last spot, leave money on the table and go to Aaron Hicks or something like that. Like you don't want to dupe with the 15 people ahead of you because your expected value is just shot if you do that. So you need to be evaluating things that way too, thinking about how you can pass people who are ahead of you, thinking about how you can block people who are behind you. If you're in first place... Of that entire thing and there's people behind you who uh are very likely to have Giancarlo Stanton and you can have Giancarlo Stanton and beat them by one fantasy point you want to do that like every time so thinking about things like that just just people don't utilize late swap near enough And I don't remember uh back when um DraftKings took uh late swap off of NBA when they did that fun little experiment um, I would. I very, prefer by, but which
0: I prefer by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was very against it at the time, right at the time. And I was still learning a lot about GFS at the time. So, um, I was going back and forth and like, now I look at that, I'm like, yeah, I'd much prefer not to have late swap because it removes so much of like the edge that I'm losing from actually wanting to spend time with people that I care about after lock, um, that's a massive thing that people don't really think about. And, and you're like, oh, well, but what if I have an injured player who I can't swap off of? Well, guess what? Nobody else can either. Like that, that your your edge is still the same. Like you, it actually even it's the playing field for people who are not as uh, as time dedicated as people who have all the time in the world to be making those swaps. So I, I was against it back then, but now I'm fully in, fully in the camp of remove late swap from everything and just let the chips fall where they lie and I'll be okay. And I can just go spend some more time with my kid.
0: Right. Well, like the difference in NBA, NBA light swap is the biggest, is the biggest advantage mm. you could have in all in, in all of DFS essentially. Now, why would I say, well, I don't want that. I don't want that biggest edge ever. Well, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the more that good play, like from a long-term perspective, if you're thinking about making money from a long-term perspective, Late, uh, having that big of an edge in NBA late swap is just, it's just bleeding the bad players dry too quickly. Right. You, I mean, if you're not going to utilize late swap in NBA, you're, 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 you're going to be losing a lot more money. Don't right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I want to win the most amount of money, but I don't need to win it as quickly as possible. I mean, like I want over time, I want bad players, just like in poker. I don't want, you know, bad players to go broke too quickly or they're not going to, they're not going to come back. Right. So from a long-term health perspective of the DFS ecosystem, it's better to remove edges that are that big over the field, especially when more casual players are not going to use. Number two is that I still have an edge even without late swap. Right. So like I, there's an edge there regardless. And then when you have to go from seven to 10 30 or something on most nights, and essentially, it, from a from an hourly efficiency perspective, like it's basically NBA season is like, well, my nights are done. Like I, I'm going to be if I'm not willing to be at my computer for three three and a half hours or whatever, then I don't play, right? Mm-hmm. So if it was just late swap, no, and he got got rid of it. Seven o'clock, everything locks, and then if there are questionable players, you you have to make the assessment of do I play, do I play uh, Fred Van Vliet? right, he's questionable, or do I, if I don't play Fred Van Vliet, do I play, you know, Armani Brooks, or whoever the hell, you know, Gary Trent, whoever, whoever would benefit from him being out, right, or do I play some lineups with him, and some, some lineups for that, some that, without it, right, you know, if, in case this happens, you have to do that yourself, and then once lock hits, I don't have to worry about it anymore, if I get a zero, I get a zero, like, that was, that was, that was what I aimed for. Jokic is out. Oh, okay. On to tomorrow. Right? You have to think like that. So I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind that. And it makes it so that at seven o'clock, I'm done. Right? I don't have to like, oh, well, uh, uh this the uh, Fred Van Vliet's out and and this guy's out now. Gary Trent projects, well, I can't do anything about it. I don't care about it if the projections
1: change anymore. It doesn't matter. I can't do anything about it. It is what it is. Yeah. Hey, uh- A funny thing about what you're talking about here is you're like, oh, and at 7 p.m., like, I'm done. And both you and I, we think about the idea of being done for the day in terms of DFS. And it just sounds like the best thing in the world. And there are people that are like, oh, well, you guys get to you guys get to watch sports and like play DFS all day. And like that's your career. And we're like, yeah, and that's really, really cool. But it doesn't mean that I'm not absolutely exhausted of doing those things sometimes. And especially at the end of the day especially if you deal with every single sport. And especially if you're at the end of the NBA season, like come March, the reason why I everyone play USFL, it's not that I couldn't build a model for it. It's not, it's not that I couldn't like do the news aggregation. I could have built scrapes for things. I could, have, I could have done all of these things, whatever. Bro, it is the middle of April. I am exhausted from NBA season. And I need like three weeks to remember how to live a normal life. Because NBA season is brutal, brutal. Not only from a DFS player perspective, where like even like the DFS player perspective is probably even more taxing. And I and I didn't really specialize in NBA back when I played, like to pay my bills. Um, and like now as a content creator, I get to pretty much be done unless I'm worried about some late news, like Steph Curry is questionable, or uh, or you have a, a, a Donovan Mitchell or something like that is questionable. These, these West Coast games. Um, then I have to worry about it. I have to be by my computer and ready to make some corrections to updates and stuff like that. But like, I'm tired, man. And I understand that it's really cool the job that we get to do, but that does not mean that we don't get exhausted from dealing with like the day-to-day mental capacity stuff and the day-to-day like constant attention to what we have to do and the craft that we have to do. It's, it's a grind, man. It's a true. grind.
0: Right. Most of the time, most of the time I spend is during an NBA season, NBA season. It's like my brain has to turn on from like 5:30 at night to 10 to 10:30. 10 thir- I mean, like that it's mental focus the whole way through because I'm I'm not going to build lineups at two o'clock in the afternoon. That's that's the easy time I'm not doing it. That's when I'm doing shows like this. That's why you know whatever, right? Baseball is much easier. Baseball, okay. The lineups come in. You have to sweat some uh, some postponements, some rain stuff, but pretty much once you build your lineups, you you you've built your lineups. I mean. Come come late, come lock, you're you're done. Right. And then you then you can go off and do whatever the hell you want. Sometimes, sometimes I'm, a lot of times I put on MLB TV and I, I have like six games on at once. But then like come like come eight o'clock. A lot of times I'm not watching baseball. Any, I mean like the first hour, because typically my my wife has has the opposite schedule from me. So my wife works the, the third shift. So my my wife works midnight to 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. Four days a week, uh, she's a crisis counselor. So if you're in Kentucky and you think about and you're thinking about suicide, you're probably going to be talking to her. Uh, so like, typically, our, like her her like morning is like eight p.m. Right? So she that's typically when she'll wake up because she she'll wake up, right? Spend four hours. We'll we'll spend four hours together, and then she works. I go to sleep. Then by the time I wake up at, you know, and 10 in the morning, she's, she's, she's going to sleep, right? Like, like kind of the opposite. So like our time together is typically from eight to midnight. So if it's during basketball season, like when the hell, like that I'm, I'm working, I got it. Or at least I'm on the couch with the rotor grinders alerts and up uh, got pause, pause, whatever we're watching. I got, I got to go and switch lineups and then, then I know, also know that a half an hour from now, the eight o'clock games, and we're going to say, oh, starting lineup. Oh, Alex Len is starting?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ozda, oh, I got to go and go. Like that's baseball. That doesn't rarely happen, right? Right. By eight o'clock, even the West Coast, we have this 10-10 game. Maybe that lineup doesn't come in until 7.30. And maybe it's like, I got to switch out Will Smith with Austin Barnes, you know, that type of thing for the Dodgers. Or, right. you know, Chris Taylor isn't in and it's Gavin Lux or, you know, what that type of thing. But for the most part, like, like, most of my work is for DFS is done here in the morning. So 11 to one, I guess, something Eastern time. And then for base, then it's like, if I'm doing grinders live, then it's like 445 till lockish time, right? Typically the middle of the afternoon, I'm not doing anything. And then past lock, I'm not really doing anything either, but that's still an ample amount of time. I mean, it's just still spending five to six hours a day doing something DFS related. And if, and in between all of that, someone like you you're dealing with scraping and models and updating stuff. And, and this thing is, and for multiple sports, me, I'm not doing that, but still like on Wednesday typically is when I'm setting up my MMA spreadsheet, mm-hmm. right. Start looking at odds for that. Right. And then uh, soccer, right. Soccer, there may be a midweek slate Saturday slate. I'm looking into stuff like, like the stuff that I'm doing in, in between all those times, but the, the place that I don't want to spend the most amount of time, it's weird to say, most people enjoy the sit down and watch some sports type of time, but that's the, that's the least productive part of the effect. Right. Because you're not, I, the only, I do enjoy watching MMA. So on Saturday, I will sit down and watch the entire card, right, which could take six to seven hours, right? But I'm doing that for purely entertainment. There's no reason to. I enjoy it, right? All the other stuff I really like. Watching six baseball games at once is not something I feel like I have to do. Like, like I'm going to watch five hours of baseball. Basketball, I don't even remember the last time I watched an NBA game. NFL, I'll put on red. So NFL is the other one. You put on red zone. So from 1 o'clock Eastern to 7.30 Eastern, I'm sitting and I'm watching red zone right but that and mma and then like premier league mornings saturday morning 10 to 12 right champions league maybe three to five in the afternoon on tuesdays and wednesdays other than that i'm not watching any sports because to me i find that it's not number one it's not productive to do so you're not gaining anything by it you're just wasting time and the sports the other than those times that i'm mentioning are times where, because of my wife's schedule, like I I, 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 we'll spend time together watching something else or doing something, going out or do something, something that's not DFS related because we, we also have a life.
1: Right. Yeah. I, uh, I mostly just watch. I mean, my day is, is, is only slightly different from yours. And the only reason why it's different is because I have instead of shows most days, uh, I'm just running models. I'm putting together stuff. Like the hardest days for me are days like, uh, I think it was, was it yesterday or was it two days ago where FanDuel decided to break up the N- the MLB slate into like nine different variations. And that sucks. Like that's hard because then every single hour, I pretty much have to switch the models to different games and like do a whole bunch of different things. But for the most part, it's like, I get up at 630 in the morning I play video games until 8am that's my time nobody gets to tell me what else i'm doing with my time until 8am. And then uh, I make Damascus breakfast and then I usually get to work around nine and then do work running models until around noon or so, depending on when slates lock. It depends on the year, but then I'll, you know, I'll have the middle of the day where we'll probably go get lunch or something like that, and then I'll come back and then I'll work through from about three p.m. until six thirty p.m. And that six thirty p.m. If I have to work after six thirty p.m., I am disgruntled. I am a very unhappy employee after six thirty p.m. because it's like I just want to be able to sit down on the couch and watch something with my fiance and hang out and exist as a person in my relationship and not be running some sort of models or looking at, at, at numbers or anything like that. Like, I don't want to be working past 6.30 p.m. Um, pretty much the only things that I watch at this point, I do watch League of Legends, uh, like frequently. I really, really, really like watching competitive League of Legends. And in fact, I'm going to the LCS finals this weekend down in Texas, and I'm going to be there for three days watching the finals in person. It's going to be lit. It's going to be exciting. I'm really, really stoked on it. So, you just
0: basically you're just watching it on a very big screen,
1: right? But I will be at the arena and like where like all that's taking place. Like, so you
0: you get to see, you get how close are you going to be to the pretty close? It's, it's, I know I'm kind of trying to make fun of it, but I know uh, you are.
1: It's like it works awesome because it's so fun. What's I I don't,
0: I, I, but you're not watching them do anything other than sit there in front of a
1: screen. Yeah, sure, but I mean, there's like extra effects and there's extra like uh, pieces of the production and everything like that. It's okay. it is a really really cool thing. Okay. Um, and, and like if you are involved in, in esports at all, the environment and like the 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 general vibes of it are just immaculate. Just the, the vibes through the roof. Just fantastic <laughs> stuff. But uh, I'll watch I'll watch League of Legends. Um, sometimes I watch in the mornings. Um, I really like watching LEC stuff. Uh, sometimes i watch Counter-Strike, but not very often. Counter-Strike happens kind of like, it, it just takes too much attention away, I think. Um, and then I'll watch like island games. I watch like Monday Night Football and Thursday Night Football just because I play Showdown on them. And uh, I, don't, I don't really watch outside of that. So I just, I, I think that people kind of have it a little bit misconstrued of what life is like a DFS person is. Like whether you're on the content creation side or whether you're playing. Um, I think people kind of have it a little bit twisted. Uh this over the last couple of days, I did a uh I did a seminar for some college kids um that were in a fantasy sports class. And they they asked, like, because they were really excited, and you know, this is for people who want to get into either sports analytics or the DFS industry, like after they're out of college. And they wanted me to kind of break down what my life was like it was like listen, it, it's, it's a serious grind and I don't even really like watching sports anymore because of it. So understand that this is not like, oh man, this person gets to just be in sports for their entire life. Like, isn't that so cool? Like, yeah, but too much of any good thing is still gonna take toll on you. So uh, just always keep that in mind. Like Bunder and I are very lucky to, to do the things we do and we, we make sure that we can continue to do the things that we do uh, for a living. But it's certainly not for everyone. It's hard for some people. But most of most of work
0: is not watching sports, right? That that right. That's, the, that's And typically, watching sports is the least productive way, the least productive part of playing DFS. I actually, you, you're not doing. I, you're not like it's not what what most top play like. For instance, if you were the top top players that play like everything, I'm talking about guys that enter every contest in the lobby, every sport pretty much like, like dude, their, their, their life is like on a, on a, on a, on a Sunday, even, even for football would be, well, once one o'clock lock hits for, for NFL, they ain't watching football. Cause they got to do their afternoon lineups. They got to do the NBA lineups there. The MLB like ML during September, there'd be games for that. There are showdowns for all these things. Like they're, they're working on all their lineups for all that type of stuff. And then then four o'clock lock kits for the afternoon games. And then they're working on Sunday, Sunday night, baseball showdown lineups. They're working on so, their soccer slates throughout the day. If they're playing soccer, there's, I mean, like they're playing everything. NBA may be going on at five 30 flock for NBA. Like that watching the game, watching the stuff is that look, there's, they got, they got stuff to do right there's there's actual stuff to do that sitting down and watching a game is not is not not doing it you're not doing anything like all, all you're doing it's it's very similar but slot machines yeah a lot of people don't realize like when all you know you go to Las Vegas you go to a casino you go to whatever and you these advanced slot machines that have the thing, the rings are flying around, the fucking thing goes up. You play a little game, the thing goes, ah blah 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 blah. I'm from Egypt, and here's the pyramid and coin, 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 and all that type of stuff. It's still it's a random number generator. Yeah. Like all all this, it seems like. You're you're spending like 17 seconds watching the thing play out, and like, will the 10 match with the 10? Will the king match with the? It's already predetermined. It's just playing out in front of you. Like uh, the second you press that button, it it that outcome based on a range of probabilities based on their pay, you know, it's an 88% payback machine and 92% payback machine. It's all computed like that automatically for you. But it has to give you some amount of entertainment value to, to raise your your endorphins or whatever, get your dopamine going. Going, oh, oh the last I got all the the five the four rolls went like this, and the fifth one, oh, I was that close from two hundred and forty thousand dollars. It's like no, it the machine knew that all the way before there, it could literally like if you wanted to, if it's not they're not going to do that. Make it so that that the minute you the second you press the button, it goes. You get $3, you get nothing, you get a dollar. Like It could be that, but they put on a whole big show to entertain you for that, that result. That's, in DFS, that's what watching games is comparable to. Like, there's no choice, other than late swap, like MMA for it, like I said, I watch MMA at a pure, enjoy, at pure entertainment, why? There's no late swap in MMA. Once, once the slate locks, there's nothing I can do to control the outcome. There's no amount of work I could put in. There's nothing that I could, if I were to walk away from the TV and not even watch it, and then at the end look and go, "Oh, I made money," or like it wouldn't, the, it wouldn't have mattered if I watched it or not, right? Very similar to the, the slot machines. It's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter. So all you're doing when it sounds like, "Oh, I'm gonna sit here and what," like. If you're doing it for entertainment purposes, do whatever you want for entertainment purposes, right? You're watching League of Legends, even if there's no slate or something like that. I'm watching. I'm watching Star Trek, right? It's like anything else. Well, instead of watching Star Trek, you're watching the. You're watching Sunday Night Football, but like what the showdown slate locks for Sunday Night Football? There's nothing more you can do. Now, better DFS players may be spending that time from after when showdown locks, like a Monday night or something, if I'm playing showdown, like I'm usually not watching Monday night football, right? I'm usually not watching it. Why? Because typically eight to eight to midnight is when I spend time with my wife, especially on the days that she works, right? So it's like, well, what am I going to, now, if, if she was gone for that day, I'd probably be watching Monday night football because what, what else is on, right?
1: <laughs> what else are you going
0: to do? What else am I going to do? So it's like, but the, watching the games shouldn't be the priority. That isn't the part of DFS that you need to add more time onto. You should be adding more time onto everything else. Learn, learn, take a statistics class. Do, I mean, do something outside of watching the sports. Watching the sports isn't the part of DFS. You should be trying to make that as small of amount of time as possible let's say you don't have much time like the first thing you should cut is watching the games right and people are like well that's like the most fun part of sweating the games it's like yes that's why it is a recreational entertainment product from DraftKings and FanDuel that's what that's what it's pitched as that's what casual people want I want to build a lineup a half an hour before the game right go on the showdown I'm going to play this 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 and this and now I have some rooting interest in the game and I can no, I put, I could turn $5 into 5,000. You know, that, that's, that, that is the product that they, that that is the entertainment product that they've built. If you want to play it as an entertainment product like that, I'm not stopping you. Go for it. Have fun. Build a lineup on the toilet and have fun. And don't expect to be profitable long-term doing it that way. But if you want to have fun, go go for it. It's like playing blackjack at a casino. But if you want to, if you're playing seriously to make money as a then it's, It's not, it's like you said, it's not this lifestyle of like, like, oh, I got my my man cave and I'm just sitting around with a little laptop and watching sports on 18 different screens because really the watching the games part doesn't do anything.
1: I've actually found that it it has made me worse at modeling, like, because it would introduce these weird biases that I would have and I would look at what the models were saying and I would see that, uh, I don't know, some players projected way worse than what I would conceive them to be able to do based on what I have watched during the games. Like back when I first got started, I noticed that I was actually developing biases in my models because I thought that players were better than what they actually are. And usually the models would go out and usually I'd be wrong about that player. And I had to, you know, I thought about that. I was like, I should probably stop watching these things because it's kind of making it harder for me to build competitive models. Like it it just introduces weird biases. And uh, like you said, if if you really really love watching sports watch it because you enjoy watching it don't watch it because you think that it'll make you better at dfs right
0: mma it works very much cuz there's very small sample sizes with fights and everything that people oh i watched the past three fights this guy can't this guy can't defend takedowns in the past three fights yeah. and like how many times was he taken down well four times but it doesn't look like his technique doesn't look whatever and then then you then you look and it's like yeah because he faced three really good wrestlers yeah and then and then in the next but he doesn't get taken down at all and ends up destroying the guy and people like who would have thought that it's like me you know why (laughs) because i didn't watch his last three fights i just went by the number i just went by numbers on betting lines and he's 12 percent like that the first fight of the night this past this past uh saturday another classic saturday where uh I have a $12,000 swing on the last fight. Beautiful. Okay. And of course it doesn't go my way. Uh, although I shouldn't say of course, because two times it did go my way and I made a lot of money. Uh, so, but this time it was, I could have came in third in the 555 if Luke a won, one and I won a whole bunch of other stuff, like not first place, but like top five. Uh, and all he had to do was win. It didn't even matter really what his score he had to score 54 points. And it's very hard not to score 54 points in MMA in a win in a five round fight. So I was like, just win whatever. And then Muhammad won as the underdog and there goes that. So I went from either, I went from winning like 11,000 to losing a (laughs) thousand. Right. So it's like that type of stuff. Luke wins. I win 11,000. If Luke loses, I I lost a thousand, which I was happy to just lose a thousand really based on the results. But the first fight of the night, the, the quick win bonus, uh, Alatang Galli whatever his name is just just Cato the guy in the first brand got 100 128 points and he was like 11% owned because he was overpriced for his odds but at 11% ownership he was i i, I based on my my sheet he was one of the most underowned fighters on the slate cuz he had a 32 he had like a 32% mm-hmm. inside the distance and like like 14% round 1 finish Odds, which was lower than some of the other fighters in that range, and no one wanted to play because and and all I could hear and I I, I tell people this in Discords that I'm in, and I'm like you know I'm going to be playing a ton of Alatyn. It's like yeah, but this guy he's you know what the thing is uh he he hasn't he hasn't finished a fight in his in his UFC career. He has he's never gotten to finish. His UFC career is like six fights. Right, six fights just total. He's lost three of i like, likely lost three of them, and the other three that that he he won were were matchups where he wasn't even the favorite. Like I think two out of the three that he that he won, he was the underdog in the fight, and then the one that he won was just a decision win and just a he's against another like striker tie, like, in a, in a like if you looked at just even the context of what I know about MMA, you'd look and go. There may be a reason for all this. And if he was that, and my my main thing is that uh, when he's like, well, th- this guy has a very low chance of getting a finish. Like, that's why people weren't going to play. Because compared to these other guys, it's like, yeah, but he's still a 32% chance of getting a finish. Yeah, but he's never gotten a finish in in, in six fights. So, well, then how come the betting market is still acting like he's a 32? Like, like dude, it's not like, like this, these are li- fairly liquid enough markets across the board like is inside the distance line is still like thirty to thirty four percent. Like oh no no but no the the you know what I get told so often. Yeah, the betting line is off. Oh yeah. Or or or, or I or I get or, or even better, James. Uh, Vegas is I, uh, you know that MMA the MMA the sports betting streaks are wild to listen to. Uh, Vegas is trying to trap you. Right. They'll put a line up that it's like, no, nah, they, they're, they're, they're trying to get a lot of par, uh, trapping parlays, right? By put making someone a very big favorite, like that people were saying about close with his neck issues. But like I said before, oh, they're just leaving them up as a minus 525 favorite and a, mi- and a minus 105 inside the distance because they want to trap people into betting like, that, you know, tra- you know a, three, a three fight parlay into a four one with a fight that shouldn't be minus 525. So people are more confident. It's like, dude, that's not how that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That's not how (laughs) any of this works, right? If that line was that significantly off, they would have to change it because they'd be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars coming in on a obviously offline, right? On the other side, on the other side of the fight. And there's not and there's no movement. And and we're not even
1: talking about like somebody like the, all the money would be coming on in on an underdog. And then they would be like on the other side of that, that we're, we're talking like their payout would be significant based on the underdog. If that line was wrong. Right. Not leaving that
0: up. Yeah. But, but that's the type of stuff that, that those are the types of things where you take advantage. Like I'm telling you when people, when people ask me like, what's, what's the advantage that I have by, like we come out with this course, right. The area daily fantasy sports. I had to think like a professional DFS player. It's a 15 hour course, get it theoryofdfs.com. It's like, I, I'm on the show every day, every weekday, you're on. We say, I, I give out hundred percent of what I know here. There's hundred percent. It's and I still make money, giving out everything that I know. The secret sauce is figuring out what everyone else is going to do. I mean, like, and just, and taking advantage of that. So it's like, you can do the same thing. It's not like I'm doing it math. Like James, you do it more mathematically or some people try to do it more mathematically. And I'm, I could just, I, all I do for MMA, I'll listen to a ton of podcasts, look at a ton of content and whatever. And I, I'm not, I'm not uh, beholden to any, any fighter or any, I don't, I don't watch past tape or anything. And I just go, well, if this was true, why is the line like this? It's like, I just like, This guy has a, this woman has no shot at blah, blah, blah. Never did like old trends. It's a small cage. So that favors the wrestler. This strike, like, I'm like, dude, if, if, if your assessment is like this, you're making it sound like this is an 80, 20 fight when the betting line is like nearly pick them. So it's like, well, if other people are going to be looking at the tape and seeing the same thing, why don't I just take advantage of it and go, what do we know? Let's get back to the very beginning of this episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What What do we really know? And the smaller the sample size, the more the more noise that it's possible. What do you know? A, a, a threat, someone with a three fight sample in the UFC And then then a lot of people go, well, they they have eight regional fights, so I look back at their regional tape. And then I'll look at I'll look at the, their, their their the records of the, the people that they faced on the regional scene. And it's guys that are one in six, two and eight. I mean, like, like the worst fight. So, like, how do how do you even judge that compared to a UFC level fighter? What is that? Oh, he is uh, the, what? The striking efficiency or takedown of accuracy? It's like yeah, against bums on the regional scene. Like, what? what why are we even using that data? Like, he's facing someone with six UFC fights under their belt, not a regional fighter as a newcomer. Right, so like those are the types of things where like people watch and go, oh, this guy, like so many people, uh, and then you have the biases like this. The, the um, uh, Godzi, Omar Gurdzayev, whatever his name was, I have no idea. Uh, he was eighty three hundred versus uh, Barayo uh, seventy nine hundred, and people just saw a thirteen and zero Dagestani Russian name that is a wrestler and said, DraftKings galore, right? Because Khabib, you know, like any, any time you see a, a Dagestani, you go, chain wrestler, right? Going to take them down, everything like that. And the line opened with that guy like minus 145, right? It was a pick'em by fight day. And as the line started favoring the Brazilian, more and more people, Talked and in, in talked about takedown city. This guy's under own like 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 that. How do you not take eighty three hundred? He may get eight takedowns, whatever like that. Talking about his you know his amateur, his uh, non UFC, his thirteen fights. And I look and and I, I some people mentioned that that the strength of schedule is suspect, right? And I looked and I said the strength of schedule is very suspect. So it's like yeah against but the the guy that he's fighting is also a newcomer, but like also a very good grappler and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and better on the feet. So it's like chain wrestler who is used to getting like bums fighting against an actual, the the guy that he's facing is going to be the best fighter he's faced his entire career. So I'm sitting there while people are just blindly playing Russian name At that price, and I'm like, I'm just gonna play the complete other side. And he was low-owned. And the if you watch the fight, you would think that the Brazil, like you would think that, oh my god, this this guy can't even rest. Like Mm -hmm. the guy tried to wrestle and got countered twice and got dominated, got dominated on the ground. He's a Dagestani wrestler, got completely dismantled on the ground because he's never faced it. His strength of schedule is that bad. Mm-hmm. That like against a competent gra- grappler, like he has no chance, and he was like twenty eight percent owned. And I had the guy that was like eighteen percent owned on the other side, but only due to that bias. So to me, that's the secret sauce. The secret sauce has nothing to do with like my secret sauce, at least. Like I can't put that into numbers, though. I can't put like I I see what's what's going on. People are gonna overplay this guy. I'm going to find leverage on the other side and build my lineups accordingly. Doesn't mean I have zero, that guy, right? I still had like 8% of him, but he was 28% owned. Uh, but that's only due to just listening to what people are saying and just adjusting from the, well, this guy is going to be more owned than I think people think, right? Projected at 24 and like probably going to be more like 28, right? Close was projected for like 40. I think he's going to be closer to 32, Right. And you start moving stuff around. And then by the time lock hits, I look at my ownership versus actual ownership and more times than not, especially now in MMA that I've, I've learned how to adjust the field more that I think my ownership is, is the most accurate out of, out of any of the sources, mm-hmm. my eventual closing ownership of this is what I think is going to be ends up being closer. And then I'm building my lineups based on that ownership and not by RG projected ownership or insert side projected ownership i'm just going through going what are people saying like more people going to play this underdog most, to, to me spending your time doing things like that it's kind of weird to say james that it's better it doesn't it sound weird if i said that if you had four hours of free time in a day right between which would be more useful between two and 6 p.m. Eastern or eight and midnight Eastern. Most people would go, I want eight to midnight. So, cause I'm watching the games. And from two to six, you know what I'd be doing instead of, instead of watching the games, I'd choose from two to six to just listen to all the podcasts or shows that's going to deal with this MLB slate coming up Mm -hmm. that you would get more out of finding out what everyone else is saying than by actually watching the games.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that if, if you were trying to be better at DFS in general, uh, taking like that time in the middle of the day to figure out where ownership is going to lie. I've been saying it for probably what, like two years now that I think that ownership is, by far the most important thing right now in DFS in terms of like finding success, um, like projections are, are obviously getting much better, but I think that if you can figure out ownership, but I think that if you can figure out to a more precise level of where people are going to be, that's, that's more edge than you can. That, that, that's plenty of edge. Even if you didn't. Well, projection
0: have... Projections are an edge. It's just that it's just, you sign up for Roto premium, click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. You got, you have good projections. That's all you need, right? That's all you need. Like, all you need is reasonably good projections. Mm-hmm. Which one is the best? If like, you people people ask, like, are oh, the roto grinders project- the bad projections? Are the like, dude, all of that is better than having no projections. You got to start with something. The difference between projections around the industry are minimal, at best, right? So if you start the worst projections amongst all the bunches content sites that are out there, are is good enough. Right. So if you choose not to use rotor grinders, which I would suggest because that's what I use, right? Like that's better than so there is an edge in that because there are plenty of people playing without projections. And to me, they're dead in the water. But from the point that you have reasonably good projections, like that's why that's why you said like the ownership, that's where more of the edge is. And we have projected ownership. And it's much harder to project ownership than it is to project players right? People think the opposite. People go, oh, it's very hard to project players. It's like, it's not that hard to project players. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to, because they're, they're, you have all this data to go by, right? To, 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 to analyze and drill down into projected ownership is at the whims of human bias. I, I mean, and you can go back, you can analyze back in time and go to previous slates and go, well, based on this and based on that and based on this, and start developing this like, this this behavioral type of uh, thing. But even that is flawed because every slate is different. And, and I mean, dude, th- there are things that you couldn't you couldn't analyze from the past and go, oh yeah, everyone's playing this guy because of X, Y, and Z. And and this podcast, I I, I remember two what two years ago, Adam Troutman in a tight end week. And it's like, like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this guy at like this percent. And he was like twice as much. And then I was like, yeah, this other site that was kind of talking about him. Yeah. That pushed up a lot of the ownership. And I started to adjust based on that. It's like, okay, uh, the influence of certain places are are much more than others. Like to me, to me, that's, that's what I spend more of my time. Do you have to spend all of your time doing that? No. But to me, I find it more productive to after this show, like I, I have nothing to do today between the end of this show and putting together a couple of lineups, playing five lineups tonight, uh, in MLB. Uh, so I won't do anything until like crunch time. Right. I'll listen to, you know, it's six o'clock at night, right. See the postponements or whatever. So like, what am I doing between like 12 or six? Like I'm um, most likely I'll take a shower, but I'll put on, I'll put on the morning grind. Right. I'll put on, You know, our MLB shows are, you know, and around the industry, just what are, what are people, you know, I'm looking at the, the bad projections right now and I'm going, okay, let's see what, let's see how popular Cores is tonight. What is the effect of the postponement games going to be? And I'm not listening intently. I'm putting it on like it's talk radio. A lot of times I put on a play, put it on a playlist and it go, just keeps on going. It just, Mm -hmm. right. And I listen to four MLB DFS shows or NBA DFS in a row. And I'm not even sure who's talking or what show it like just and it just it registers in my brain. It's like, yeah, every everyone loves that, loves this. And I look at the projection and go, oh, yeah, every right to, they have every right to love that guy, mm-hmm. that pitcher, because he's the best projected point dollar picture on the slate for and all the everything like that. But when I see the ownership is like 28%, I go, now, based on what I'm hearing, this is gonna be more like closer to 40%. So if he's closer mm-hmm. to the 40%, I gotta start adjusting everything else. And then by the time we get to but that from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. All the players that I'm playing, I have a better gauge on ownership and then build my lineups accordingly.
1: And that's the sauce. That's the sauce.
0: Okie doke. Jacob Calloway's in the chat. Directional bias is in the chat. Give me, uh, give me those thumbs up on your way out the door. Yeah, we didn't get that many questions. People are just listening on. People talking in the chat. Thank you very much. Right. Devin says in the chat, at the end of the day, it's simply a game, a puzzle that we're all collectively trying to solve. Well, maybe not collectively. Right. Don't dupe do me, bro. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be collective. I want to win. Uh, solo. So uh, you can get the theory of daily fantasy sports as always. 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. class, all these concepts that we talk about on the pregame show. Theoryofdfs.com it applies to any sport. So go check that out. James. Paydirtdfs.com, Paydirt underscore DFS
1: on Twitter. That's right. Yep, yep. Both things, both those things are right.
0: And uh, you can follow me at Blender HD. Hit that subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got live locks on the uh, scores and odds channel with Grant. We got Grinders live coming up later. Four forty-five. They'll go over the uh, the MLB slate. The uh, Diamondbacks Nationals game has been officially postponed. We'll probably get two more PPDS coming by then, but then we got uh, crunch time after Grinders Live, which is free all season. So you get the updated weather with uh, with, with Roth there and uh, and Cheese and and all the guys. If you want to talk about tonight's MLB slate, and I'll be I'll be on tomorrow to review to review it all and answer your DFS strategy questions as I always do on the DFS pregame show on Roto Grinders. Dot com.